Welcome to Cream of the Crop, where we talk with the best and brightest minds in modern agriculture. Welcome to the Cream of the Crop podcast. Today we have Stephanie Stuckey on the line. Hello, Stephanie. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. We're so excited. The first thing that I have to say before I can even introduce you is to settle the great debate of how one says the word pecan, because to me it's pecan, but I don't know if that's the right way to say it. So what's the great debate? What's the final answer? (laughs) Oh my gosh, the pressure's on. And I know the listeners are also experts on this. I (laughs) say I, I will probably muddy the waters even more. You and I say it the same way. I say pecan. Uh-huh. Okay. We are in the minority. Yes. The majority we of Americans, someone actually did a poll. Most people say pecan. 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 I just can't do it. <laughs> My grandfather used to joke that they are pecans when you pick them, uh-huh. pecans when you sell them. Okay. That's a smart man. <laughs> Sounds so much more sophisticated or high end, like maybe you can command a better price if you say pecan. But the bottom line is, if you're in the business of growing produce, and then you want to sell it at a good price, you're going to sell it however the buyer wants you to pronounce it. (laughs) I find myself switching back and forth based on who I'm talking to and how they pronounce it. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Thanks for giving me the lesson on that. Cause it's always been a debate for me. I'm like, no, it's pecan. It is pecan. <laughs> so, and where are you from? I'm from central Florida, but my family um, is from South Georgia and central Florida. Yeah, so see, we're from South Georgia. So yes. it's regional as well. And there's actually a map that I posted on social media, not too long about different ways of pronouncing things or saying things based uh-huh. on where you're from. And it's fascinating. Just yeah. It's so influenced by where you come from. I love that. Well, I'm so excited to have you. You are the CEO of Stuckey's, which I think certainly with my roots in the South, I'm very familiar what Stuckey's is. Um, But if you will share with the listeners just a little bit about you first, then we'll get into the business. So I know you have a ton of experience as an environmental lawyer, uh, um, House of Representatives, and the list goes on and on and on. Um, So if you'll just give us that like 50,000 foot level Um, overview of your story and how you got to being the CEO of Stuckey's. Sure. I'm originally from Eastman, Georgia, and I went to the University of Georgia undergrad in law school. I practiced law for many years and was elected to the Georgia General Assembly. So I was the state representative for 14 years, was very involved in environmental issues. I was on the Natural Resources Committee. I left that and did not run for re-election. And I served for several years heading up an environmental law firm. And then I was tapped to be head of sustainability for the city of Atlanta. And I had recently left that role when I got, I had another job related to sustainability and I got an opportunity to head up my family's business. It actually was an opportunity to buy the company. And then one thing is if you buy a company or own it, you can make yourself a CEO. Yes, you can. What a good trick. (laughs) And I didn't have a CEO. So the position was vacant and had been for some time. So I bought the company in November of 2019. It was in distress. I think that's extremely fair statement. Mm -hmm. And it's, it will fix her up or maybe a better way of putting it. Uh, So that's been my journey for the past year and a half. I have totally switched careers. And the smartest thing I did was I got a business partner who is also co-owner of Stuckey's and he is a tree farmer, a pecan farmer. And so I have had the good 
fortune and sense to align myself with someone who knows the agricultural world inside and out. Wow. What a unique story. I, I just want to talk about the, the first part of this when you said that you bought your family's business. So yeah. tell me how that went. We normally see, I think you're generation three. We normally see at that point people um, inheriting or just taking over. So tell me the story of how you ended up buying the business. Yes. So we're the generation that usually screws it up, right? <laughs> no pressure. I think where my story differs is that I didn't grow up with this company in our family. My grandfather sold the company in 1964, a year before I was born. So it was out of family hands for many, many years. And my father got the company back in 1985. He ran it for about 30 years and then he retired in 2014. Wow. And left the company, actually 2012, and left the company being run by a skeleton crew. And so, so then you I had a chance to buy it. Yeah, I bought it from my dad's former business partners, and I bought out my father as well. Wow. So I, not, I did not inherit this. I I bought it. I love that. I I just love hearing about women-owned businesses, anyways. And I think that there's such like a science to it. And I admire the fact that you felt so passionate about going back. Do you have like memories of Stuckey's? I know you didn't grow up with your family, like in it per se, but was there like an emotional connection for you just because it was owned by your family or what attracted you to it? Absolutely. And I think I would have had that connection, even if it wasn't my family's business, because like so many people who grew up in the sixties, seventies, eighties, even the road trip started to climb late seventies, but there's still some eighties folks who remember really what the road trip was. Mm -hmm. And I grew up in the seventies. So I was one of five kids, number four of five kids. And we took those family vacations along I-95 going to Florida yes, and in the Woody station wagon and we stopped at Stuckey's <laughs> and it was out of family hands. So it was like any other family would experience. And what was so much fun about Stuckey's is that it was this whole experience. You would walk in and there would be a talking mina bird. Some stores had their own honey beehives and they made honey wow. on site. They always had lots of local produce. Quite a few of them would have fruit and vegetable stands out front. There's very much a sense of place and a sense of belonging, even mm -hmm. though it's a chain, it was unlike any other chain where there was consistency in the standards, but not in the stores. Everyone had its own personality. And a lot of that was defined by local produce. We've yeah. always sold produce. We started as a pecan stand on the side of the road. So very much that tradition of pulling over on the road. So many of your listeners probably do this. They have produce yep. stores, right? And you sell other products. You sell souvenirs, often local products. And that that's Stuckey's. I love to hear you describe it. Um, I'm laughing in my head because like I told you, my family is all about Stuckey's and my dad is also all about a station wagon. So <laughs> when you're talking about these road trips and Stuckey's in a station wagon, I'm like, I feel like I'm talking to my dad at the dinner table. <laughs> we were like the very last family to finally get a minivan, you know, in the <laughs> 80s, everyone switched. And that was, it was so not cool to have your mom pick you up for the carpool or take you to soccer practice in the Woody station wagon. So we held on to ours until way too long. In fact, my mom just got rid of it. She cashed Oh, wow. It. Yes. 
even That's though she awesome. transitioned to a big suburban van, yeah. she kept that original st- and she finally sold it to our handyman. Oh my gosh. I love that. My dad actually upgraded his to now a Volvo station wagon. So he still drives a station wagon. Yeah, It's never been yeah. something I've been proud of. When my kids were little, a Volvo yeah. station wagon. There's something about a station wagon that I just think is such a fun experience. Sort of that lower to the ground and that sense of just, you're right there. Yeah, and, it and is definitely our road trip vehicle. So I certainly love your story yeah. about how there's so much nostalgia with um, Stuckies and that road trip and bringing that experience back to what is a roadside stand like? What is it like to pull over and and get a pecan log or whatever the, the fun thing is at the time? Um, is that something you're actively working on with Stuckies now is like bringing that experience to the industry? That is a goal of mine. And so I have to, a bit of uh, background on Stucky. So when I bought the company, it frankly had not been doing well. And through no fault of the people who had been in place helping run it, it, it was just a small team that was working on Stucky's when I acquired it. So we don't own or operate any of the stores that are still there. There are about 20 standalone stores still in operation. And so it's very challenging to come in and revive stores that you don't own and you don't operate. You don't have the financial management capacity to do so. So what I've done to turn the company around is I focused on what we can control. And Mm -hmm. that is the manufacturing arm. So my business partner and I purchased a pecan shelling plant in Wrens, Georgia, outside of Augusta. Mm -hmm. We also bought a candy plant. It's all one. Oh facility and we have a fundraising business and they operate by selling pecans to a variety of civic and charitable organizations and I'm sure lots of listeners sell produce for charity mm-hmm. and fundraising purposes so that's one of our businesses that we acquired so that's how we're driving profit for this company and building uh-huh. the company back we are very much bootstrapping it we've got yeah. some loans from our, our local community bank but we are largely doing this the old fashioned way, just driving revenue, building capital. And as we grow, mm-hmm. our plan is to own and operate a handful of Stucky's stores that will really live up to what the brand, I think, deserves that experience. But we're not there yet. That's a few years off. Yeah, that's a process. I'm, I'm very excited for the process that you're talking about. And what I'm hearing is it's about that local living and loving local drive. It's your, your only your loans are from your local bank. Like that just speaks to the the quality of your company and wanting to do that. Um, I think listeners certainly appreciate companies like you because they're in the the fresh produce business and they're having to sell that produce. Um, And it's much easier logistically to sell produce local, right? (laughs) We're not freighting and shipping and it's so much more simple. Well, and tapping into my background as an environmentalist, mm-hmm. that's one of the best things you can do for our environment is to shop local. Yeah. And the shipping costs are so much lower. The connection to community and that sense of place are mm-hmm. there. So you get not just the environmental piece, but you get the social piece, which is part of sustainability. And then you yeah. also get the economic piece, which is the third leg to the sustainability stool. There's three mm-hmm. main components. It's environment, it's social, and it's economic. And the economics makes sense when you're buying local. So it just works. 
I, I admire Stuckey's for keeping that in the forefront of your mind is that sustainability. And it's certainly a little easier for a company with someone's background like you to, to think in that sustainability arena, right? Because you've done that for so long. Um, but bringing that and circling it back into production agriculture, but also um, tourism, right? Like an experience, yes. painting a picture. Yes. Yeah, so we are involved with the Georgia Department of Economic Development's Explore Georgia program, which is inviting people to go along the back roads of our state mm-hmm. and visit these wonderful farms and manufacturing facilities that are in the agricultural space. And we're part of the agritourism group in Georgia. We're on the agritourism map. And so that's very much a part of what we do. My goal is to hopefully have some tours someday of our candy plant. Sign me up. Wherever I sign up for that, I want to be there. (laughs) And the shelling plant, you know, everyone gets excited about candy making. Of course, that's a lot of fun. Who doesn't want to see a chocolate waterfall? But (laughs) The shelling to me is fascinating. And I just love the cracking machine and seeing those shells pop up and down with the air jets pushing them up. And yeah. amazing to watch the sorting machines. We have the little elevators that lift mm-hmm. them up. And I think the most fun, this is not obviously at the shelling plant, but the shaking machine that shakes the trees to yes. get the pecans off the tree. Yes. That is amazing to watch. I come from a citrus background. So obviously here in central Florida, we have before now more so had been surrounded by citrus groves and the same type of, you know, process. It's a tree yeah. fruit. Um, and seeing that was like my favorite thing to do was just to go watch them harvest, you know, on the trees. But yeah. what you yeah. just said about the cracking machine, we have a customer that's a peach grower and we got to go to their facility. They actually process peaches as well. And so they have a pitting machine and it takes the pit out of the peach. And it was the coolest thing I had ever seen. I could just stand there for hours. Like I love looking at machinery. So I definitely need to come see this shelling plant because that sounds like a good time. (laughs) Yeah. And the whole process, I mean, there's a lot of science involved Mm -hmm. because the pecan, so they don't break in Uh the process. And of course there's going to be some breakage, but ideally you want to produce those beautiful halves. Mm -hmm. So you have to plump them up. By okay. them. Wow. And then the pecans get, you know, you have to have just the right temperature, uh-huh. but the pecans are nice and plump and full of moisture when they're cracked. And then you have to dehumidify them and get some of that moisture out. Wow. So they'll be preserved and they taste better because you don't want a pecan that's not crunchy. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's, really fascinating how they go through the process. It's not as simple as you might think that they would just run it through some machine that breaks up the shells and you have, and then you have to get the shells out. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to bite into a pecan log roll with shells and nuts around it. Yeah. That's yeah. That wouldn't be good. So, so is that process, um, is that's new to you, right? You, you haven't formally been around that. So this has been a big learning experience for you. Totally new to me. We sold the candy plant in 1964 before wow. I was born. And even when my dad got the company back, he did not buy the candy plant. And so even though the candy has been made to our specifications, mm-hmm. it's not the same as owning the plant because yeah. obviously our margins are better and mm-hmm. our quality has, I think, improved. And the quality's mainly improved because of the quality of the pecans. Mm-hmm. 
So, so I got so a that, partner who knows all this. So that was the smart <laughs> thing I did. He, he I, has a agricultural background, so he knows the industry. So I'm learning a lot of business hacks here for when I want to own a business is to get a partner that definitely right. knows it. And to, there's so many things that you've said that I'm just like, wow, so smart. If you buy a company, you can appoint yourself as the CEO. Look at that. <laughs> I love it. Um, I did want to talk to you about a little bit of the sourcing and how you get the pecans, um, like to your plant or however, um, the processing facility gets them. So is that through just like a select few growers? Do you have like growers all across? I mean, how, how does that work? Where do you guys get all these? So we bought a company that had been in operation since 1935. Oh my gosh. Well, pecans. And my grandfather actually knew Mr. Atwell and they did business together. So I love that connectivity between Uh our twenties. It was such a wonderful fit when we had the opportunity to purchase this plant. Yeah. And so we have a company with 80 plus years history and 80 plus years of customer relations. Wow. And the really important thing we did when we acquired the company was we made sure we kept the management team in place. Mm-hmm. We're on extremely good terms with the former owner who it's only had three owners We're the third owner. And so wow. the, current, well, the, uh, the person we bought it from had had it since the, he and his father-in-law had had it for decades, oh my goodness. 50 years. I love and that. so he's still on board to a certain extent, you know, mm-hmm. limited capacity, but he's still engaged with the business. He's still helping facilitate those relationships. So it's very much relationship based. Uh-huh. And so we have farmers who have been coming to Atwell Pecans for decades. Wow. They're all Georgia based. Okay. And we also do, you know, we have people who have a couple of pecan trees in their yard and just want to have their harvest shelled. Mm-hmm. And so we do all size orders. Oh, that's really awesome. Cool do a lot of custom shelling. This will be my first pecan season running up. I'm not running it, but I'm (laughs) going to be over there a lot. Yeah. So it's going to be really interesting for me to really see this more firsthand. I went to the factory when we were looking at buying it, but it's Mm -hmm. going to be a completely different experience now. I'm excited. Pecan season is getting underway. We're about to sell through our inventory that's in cold storage to make room for the new and the season really gets underway sort of early October Mm -hmm. and October through like February, the shelling plant will be in operation. So it sounds like you're definitely going to be a busy lady (laughs) coming here soon. Well, you probably already are, but, um, I love to hear that you're helping like the custom sizing when you were talking about cold storage and that kind of thing, like that's certainly what I get to work with an experience in the fresh produce business. So it's very similar to the people that are listening. They understand that season ramp up that trying to make room, wow. trying to get everything situated. Um, but I would love for you to speak to the people that maybe this is their first season too. Maybe we have listeners that are, they're, they're starting a new job at, at a processing plant or a facility. And it's mm-hmm. like, I don't know what I'm getting into, but I'm doing it. What would your recommendations be for them? Well, like I said, I surrounded myself with experts and you know what you're good at. You focus on your strengths and then you complement your team with people who not only have the skills that you lack, but have the personality and the temperament. You need to have complementary personalities as well. So if you're 
high energy, being around someone who's a little more chill is a good thing. If you're a total optimist, like, let's go do this. You need some Debbie Downers around <laughs> you, frankly, who are going to really ask tough questions. So you yes. just need to know what is your space and how you can complete that team. And I think one of the biggest challenges, and I've, I've only seen the other side of it with the seasonal business is the off season piece. Yeah. And so we really are starting to figure out what could we do to potentially have a year round operation. That's part of the yeah. reason why we added the candy facility. I say we, the, it was the genius of the people who came before me yeah. that to have a year round business, they took the pecan pieces that had a lower value. Mm -hmm. They took those pieces and instead of selling them for less money, they decided to open a candy plant, make the investment in that and use the pecan pieces in the candies. So yes. that not only created a use mm -hmm. for the byproduct, but it also gave a year round functionality to the business. But That's having said that, we still have like that pecan shelling plant pretty much shuts down with only a skeleton crew doing maintenance work uh -huh. during the off months and trying to scale up a new crew. And with the employee shortages that we're all experiencing, that is going to be, I think, our biggest challenge. So my advice for the new people, I'm even though I'm new too, so mm -hmm. take, it, take it with that background, is try to staff up yeah. as best you can and, and keep the staff you get. I, we're experiencing a lot of that. Staff. Yeah. We're experiencing a lot of that. Um, I think everyone is in the United States, but certainly here we rely on a lot of labor to get our, our crops harvested. And so we're running into, okay, are we going to have enough? You know, if luckily a lot of our labor is foreign labor and not domestic. So that does help us by knowing we're going to have somebody um, but those companies that are running domestic labor crews are really struggling right now to find labor. Um, but what I want domestic too. Okay. We, we don't have foreign labor. We have domestic labor. Yeah. So it's certainly a challenge and a hurdle. Um, what I love that you just said that I wanted to extract and talk about for just a second was um, optimizing that wasted product or that product, those coals, those things that you weren't going to um, use before, maybe just sell off for really cheap. You're now providing a value added product. You're taking that and you're adding value to it. Um, what's that process like? Like, I mean, obviously with your sustainability background, you're certainly encouraging things like this left and right, yeah. but what's that looked like? Well, that was done before I acquired the company. So mm -hmm. I can't speak personally to that other than I know we have the pieces that are made at the shelling plant mm -hmm. and we literally had the candy plant right next door and just transfer it over into the storage room. And mm -hmm. that's one of our key ingredients are the pecan yeah. pieces, but it is good to look at the whole life cycle of your mm -hmm. process and every product byproduct and see if there's a use for it. So one yeah. of the early questions I asked when I was looking at our operations are what do we do with the pecan shells? Mm -hmm. And we do sell them to a facility. It's a, a paper company oh, wow. based in Augusta and they use it to produce, they burn it for energy. So wow. it is being reused and there may be some other reuses or some ideas we've tossed around about maybe using as chips and barbecue. 
So there may be some other functions for the shells. I, mm -hmm. I've also heard you could use it as fertilizer, stabilizer, and some fertilizer. So ah. I've, had, I've had some folks reach out to us about that. So we're open to different ways that we can use the shells. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's important to look at all of the byproducts because there really is almost always some additional use. use. I was with a watermelon... Yeah, I was with a watermelon grower and was talking to them about their byproducts and, you know, it, it leaves their facility. You know, you go to the grocery store and now you buy a watermelon. They have no yeah. control over what you do with that. But I was like, we like pickle rinds. Like, that's a thing here. We take the rinds of the watermelon and like pickle them. And yeah. they were like, they, they were um, in New Mexico and they were like, oh, we have to have a pickling party. Like, we have to do this. Yeah. So it's fun to see the unique things that people will do with byproducts. And like you were saying, like, who would have thought to put those in the, in the soil or, um, to sell them for energy to a paper plant? Like that's not something that would have just come to my mind if I was thinking about what to do with all these broken shells everywhere. Right. Yeah. And we're lucky in that there are some pretty accessible end uses for our byproduct, but I know there's a lot of other agricultural industries where that's probably more of a challenge. Yeah, certainly. There's some that I think the challenge can uh, be overcome with that creative thinking, but we still certainly have a long way to go. Um, the The last thing I love to ask people, um, and I, I did another podcast today and was like, this is a selfish question because I just want to know, but it definitely provides good content, is what is your favorite part of your job like today right now? Oh, going to the candy plant. <laughs> That'd be my favorite. I mean, that is the best part about owning a candy company is that you can tour the candy plant whenever you want. And yeah. I absolutely love going on the candy line and I've made a point of knowing everyone's names. And that's an easy way that you can do something to boost morale mm -hmm. is take the time to know who your employees are, know the yeah. people working on the lines because yeah. they make your business run. If they don't show up and you don't fulfill your production mm -hmm. schedule and you can't get those orders, in on time to your retailers, you're in trouble. Yeah. So thank your frontline workers, let them know how much they mean to you. And working on one of my goals, might not be able to do it this year, but definitely next year is put in the budget, having a really good quality break room, just things to yeah. make them feel that they're appreciated. One other thing I did was I got them all a sweatshirt with their names oh, on it. I love that. Also helps me remember their names. So yes. Kind That's a, so sweet. A dual purpose, but they, they all have Stuckies, pecan shirt, sweatshirts. We, we gave wow. them sweatshirts because it gets cold in that candy plant. I bet. You have to have it chilled. <laughs> yeah. We've got chocolate in there. We don't want the chocolate melting to melt everywhere. So, That'd be a bad thing. Yeah. So it can get pretty chilly in there, especially in the chocolate room. So everyone's got sweatshirts. Oh, I love but that. That's my favorite part touring the candy candy plant. Well, it sounds like you are definitely running a phenomenal business. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing where Stucky's headed in the future. Um, it sounds like you guys are certainly in the right direction. I just really admire the way that you're running a business and your social presence. I think it's so cool. Um, my friends and I share and my dad too on Stucky's LinkedIn send posts back and forth to each other, just some really cool things that you've posted. So it's working. I appreciate it. I love what you're doing and I love to watch it. Thank you. No it's truly been my pleasure. Thanks for listening. For more episodes, go to highlandhasit.com. <laughs>